You're listening to the 49 Carats Podcast, a 49ers goldmine production with Stephanie Sanchez. What's going on, everyone? Welcome to another edition of the 49 Carats Podcast. I'm your host, Steph, and joining me today on a Friday <laughs> is Chris Johnson. How's it going today, Chris? Doing well, Dean. How are you doing? I'm not too bad. You know, this uh, this time of the year is like excruciatingly uh, like slow. You know, it's yeah. it's uh, it's tough just from, you know, I I entertain myself with football year round. And so like these this month of waiting for anything is, is so like painful for me. But, uh, <laughs> um, you know, we, we make the time go by, as you know, we're doing the state of the 49ers and going through all of the different position groups with each episode. Um, last week, uh, talked about the linebackers with Paul Hope. Today, we're going to be talking about the offensive line and, you know, kind of just our expectations. But before we do that, just like, I mean, we did find out when the 49ers are going to be reporting to training camp. The rookies, I believe it is July 18th, if I'm not mistaken. And uh, the vets are going to be reporting July 25th. So that is some good news for us. We're that much closer to real football once again. Um, and so, yeah, that that's exciting news. And we'll see if I can make it out there for training camp this year, though I'm not making any promises. It'll be uh, kind of tough this time around, but we'll try to make it happen uh, in any case. But let's get to this offensive line. And you know what? I, I'm kind of bullish on this offensive line going into 2023. Well, I don't know about you, but we'll talk all about it for me. The biggest plus is continuity. You know, the in 2022, the 49ers had three new starters, two of which had never played at the NFL level prior to the season, really. Um, or I should say hadn't started at the NFL level prior to the season, and that was Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford. Uh, Jake Brendel, who the 49ers had crazy trust in, um, because in hindsight, like if you look at the fact that, you know, he didn't even play in 2019 or 2020, he played six snaps in 2021 and a year later, he's a starting center for the 49ers, you know, like talk about trust um, and talk about an ascension, right? If I had to grade the offensive line performance in 2022, I think I would give it a solid B. And I think they, you know, they exceeded my expectations, all things considered, given that they had three new starters on the line. Yeah, I don't disagree with you there. I I was actually thinking a solid B, but I would also I I would honestly not um, disagree with someone if they said you know I wouldn't push back too hard if someone gave them a B plus. Uh, to your point, you know, and looking back at the offensive lines play in twenty twenty two, I try to look at it for what it is as opposed to like expectations because going in the expectation was that the offensive line was kind of a concern. Um, and we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about, you know, why some of that uh, even maybe persists even until now. But um, that being said, though, um, yeah, they it, my personal expectations, they definitely um, exceeded them. And I try to take my you know expectation out of it when I was trying to assess and give them a grade. I think a solid B would be is reasonable. But like I said, B plus, I wouldn't I wouldn't hate if someone said that either. Um, I think Chris Forrester has shown himself to be, uh, you know, uh, continuously a good coach. 
Um, and to your point, that consistency as well, whereas there has been movement um, from one one way or the other, the other with uh, various coaches going and getting different roles on the team or on other squads. Um, he's been in the house for a little bit there, even before really they even announced publicly that he was actually in on the on the um, staff back in, I think, 2019 when they first kind of made that announcement. But even though he was there before that, he just hadn't mentioned that probably because of some of his you know prior stuff that he was getting over personally. But at any rate, yeah, I think B is a good good assessment for them in 2022. Uh, and I, I, too, feel very optimistic about them this year as well. And and I think we have to remember that to start the season last year, because there were so many new moving parts to the line, it took some time for them to gel, you know, like naturally it happened sort of as the season went on. Uh, so by the time the team rolled out of their bye, just like the rest of the team, like the offensive line was then a well-oiled machine. And they finished as the eighth-ranked offensive line in pass-blocking efficiency. But you still feel like there's some untapped potential there, right, for the offensive line, Um, especially when you see a team like the Eagles who, you know, dominated in the trenches all year. That certainly helped them get as far as they did. And so going into the 2023, like I do have those big expectations for this unit. I think they have the opportunity to get an A grade when the season is said and done potentially, and maybe squeezing into that top five in pass block and efficiency, of course, bearing health, right? Which we know is, is always tricky for this team, but you know, maybe their depth is even improved. Uh, We'll talk more about that in a bit, but do you see the offensive line, I guess like we've sort of answered the question of like, we see this offensive line being better than last year, right? Oh, certainly I do without a doubt. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I I definitely see them making improvements and uh, notably because of, you know, Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford, Aaron Banks obviously had his starts, um, but Spencer Burford making his rotation that he had with um, Daniel Brunskill gave him obviously meaningful reps throughout the season um, and I know, you, you know, we're going to talk about that, so I won't jump ahead, but I certainly, you know, to answer your question, think that they're going to definitely be stronger this year. Yeah, we'll, we'll go player by player uh, on this line. Um, but let's quickly get this one guy out of the way because he's, he's so, he's so good. It like, it's annoying. Like, <laughs> like you don't even have to talk about him. Like the top dog of the offensive line, Mr. Silverback, Sir Trent Williams. Um, it feels like almost every position on this team has at least like one of those players that the 49ers can set their watch to. You don't even need to talk about them because they're so good. Uh, Trent Williams, definitely one of those guys. Fred Warner, Bosa, you know, um, they hardly need mentioning best as his best at his position. I mean, I don't think we can say anything else about, you know, Trent, <laughs> you know, we're lucky to have him. And so is his guard mate. So we could just like jump right over Trent just because sure. like, I think we don't have, I don't have questions about him, you know, um, sure. or concerns at all. He's to me, he's going to be the same guy, if not maybe better than last year. Um, but Aaron Banks certainly benefits from playing next to a guy like Trent Williams. And I don't know what Aaron Banks would look like without Trent next to him. But fortunately, like that's not something we need to worry about for at least, uh, you know, another year or two. But last year, you know, Banks became a full time starter um, in his second year. And I remember 
being a little concerned with the 49ers offensive line last offseason, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I wasn't sure that you could put all your eggs in the Aaron Banks basket because in his rookie season, he had only played five snaps, you know? Like, so how yep. can you know that he's ready for this role, you know? But clearly the 49ers saw something in practice that maybe the rest of us didn't see that gave them that confidence that he'd be able to replace Lincoln Tomlinson, who, you know, Tomlinson did great at the right guard position, sorry, at the left guard position, you know, for all the years that he was in San Francisco. So at the end of the day, I feel that Banks, you know, replaced Tomlinson, you know, pretty admirably, only two sacks allowed all season one versus Miami in week 13 and the second versus the Eagles in the NFC championship game, which like that game could have been worse for all involved. I think like giving up just a sack, I think we'll, we'll forgive that. Um, But yeah, I I think overall he, he did a really great job and I'm looking forward to what he's going to look like in his second year as a full-time starter. I do as well. And I think that uh, you made a good point when you're talking about you know, the impact that Trent Williams has there to Aaron Banks's left. Um, it's unknown, right, what he would look like otherwise, but Trent is there. So, you know, yeah. we can at least, you know, uh, have the belief that his floor is going to be at least what he provided on the field last year, which was pretty solid. I know that um, PFF wasn't too kind to the interior offensive line uh, for the 49ers um, with their 2022 grades. Not that PFF is the Bible, but I'm just simply saying that, um, you know, from an individual standpoint, they weren't too kind to them Uh, as a unit. We can talk about that in a little bit. But I think that, you know, one thing that potentially uh, we could use as a maybe it's not apples. Maybe it's apples and oranges. Maybe it's oranges and oranges. I don't know. But like so Lakin Thomason, right? Lakin Thomason was a pretty solid player when got paid with the Jets after leaving the Niners. Um, he had the opportunity to play alongside Joe Staley, arguably Hall of Fame, you know, left tackle. Trent Williams, definitely Hall of Fame left tackle. And then went over to the Jets and didn't do so hot, didn't do so well um, in comparison at the very least to how he did in San Francisco. Um, was he a serviceable left guard? Yeah, sure. But was he as good as and dominant as he was in San Francisco? No, not so much. So I do believe that a player such as Trent Williams' caliber has the has the capability to not just, um, you know, lift the overall play, you know, of the offensive line in general, but notably the person that's playing right next to him. So I, I expect a lot of good things with, from Aaron Banks to your point as well. I mean, it's clearly evident that, you know, and I, I, I really look at history and we may talk about this a couple of times uh, throughout this conversation this afternoon, but um, I look to how they brought along certain players, you know, we were, not necessarily we, but a lot of people were out on Aaron Banks because they're like, you drafted this guy this high. He didn't get any run his rookie year. And then now he's a full-time starter. What's going to happen here? And he and he was solid. I mean, he was solid. So clearly, maybe, you know, with the combination of the Niners, their scouting, their coaching, you know, how they developed him, um, Chris Forrester's um, coaching, as well as um, Trent Williams next to him. Yeah, I feel pretty good about Aaron Banks going into next year, going into this year. Yeah, I, I do too. And um, we got a couple questions in the chat. So Alberto is asking, in your opinion, do you believe this line got better? And that's something we discussed in the you know first couple minutes of this pod. And basically, like we we both think that they did. And I think it hinges though on the returning players being better than they were last year, and in particular, 
you know, the new guys from last year, like Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford. I think those guys need to improve. And I think I feel confident that they will improve. Um, you know, I think the question mark is still on Colton McKivitz and we'll talk more about that in a bit. Um, but as a whole, like, I, I do think this line could be better than last year and, and certainly maybe even some of their depth. Uh, Ricky is asking in the chat here, who would back up Trent if he went down? Um, you know, in, in the last couple years, that guy has been Jalen Moore. Um, and it just feels like with every year, Jalen Moore is getting more and more pushed aside. Like, I don't think he... I, I just don't think the team has seen what they need out of him. And quite frankly, like they haven't needed Jalen Moore to be this, you know, great player because they have Trent Williams, right? Like he, Jalen Moore obviously is not going to be a starting left tackle on this team anytime soon. Um, but also I, I just don't know if his level of play is, is there. Um, so, in the past, I would have probably mentioned Jalen Moore, but you know Matt Pryor, who they signed this off season, uh, could also be an option, uh, you know, for a left tackle um, depth as well for this team. But we'll talk more about some of these depth guys uh, in a bit. Uh, we're going to keep going down the line here. So now we're at center, um, and so Jake Brendel, right? Like I think. Jake Brendel is another returning player and because he's a vet, I don't know if we can really expect him to be better, but I do think that continuity, because I, I think that's so important on the offensive line. I think him being back helps this offensive line as a whole. Um, so I think we were expecting Brendel to be gone after the season ended uh, and, and the 49ers seem to always be okay with letting their offensive linemen walk in free agency, right? Center especially has been like a revolving door in the Shanahan era. We all assume that maybe, um, you know, he would get picked up by another team. That didn't happen. Uh, what was different this time was that unlike many others who have left, you know, Brendel didn't have a market. So as time passed in free agency, um, you know, I just imagine the 49ers and Brendo kind of looking at themselves and being like, you know, should we run it back? And, you know, when that happens, and of course, like if the player was good for you, if that happens, you never pass those opportunities up, right? Um, I think bringing Brendel back was a win-win for both sides. You know, we saw other free agent centers get some nice deals, most of which, like, I don't think the 49ers would have been willing to pay for a center, I thought given the circumstances, it was the right move for the 49ers to bring Brendel back. He isn't perfect by any means, but again, just going back to the continuity and knowing that center is maybe one of the most important positions for the unit as a whole, I think him being back is going to help this offensive line start the season off right where they left off, right? They don't have to go into the season trying to figure each other out because most of them have played – um, you know, full season together already, uh, you know, except for Cold McKivitz, maybe the only guy, but he was also here last year, right? He was just depth. So that being said, I, I think Brendel being back along with everyone else that's coming back should help the entire unit. I agree. And I think that also it is quite, it is possible maybe that Brendel can improve a little bit potentially. You never know. Like, so in 2016, he was on the Cowboys practice squad. 
from 2016 to 18, he was on the active roster for the Dolphins. 2019, he was on the practice squad for the Broncos. Also got, you know, uh, acquired by the Ravens to their active roster. And then in 2020, he was with the Niners until present. So um, it's quite possible with him being like the guy and knowing that he is the guy going into, you know, this offseason um, and into the season, obviously, uh, at center. There might be a comfort there. There may be since he's you know been playing since he essentially had his first you know full year as being a starter last year. Um, he played all those meaningful reps, uh, you know, gaining that experience, getting that feel of the line, so on and so forth. It's possible that he could you know settle in and maybe you know be more consistent. Maybe uh, maybe not so much you know uh, improve as a you know he might be the player he still always has been, but maybe he, he ends up being more consistent. Um, it's, it's apparent that the Niners have belief and um, trust and faith in him, bringing him back, you know, giving him a deal. I do agree. Again, the continuity and the consistency is key. Uh, you know, the guys on both sides of him, he's played with already. Uh, one that we'll get to next, obviously, will have a greater role on the offensive line than he did last year, but they have that experience and they played alongside one another. So, um, yeah, this, this could be, you know, you don't really talk about it like, Offensive linemen like this, um, many times it's, you know, skilled position players or quarterbacks and such. But, you know, with his, what is this, uh, you know, this all this time of being in the league, seventh year in the league or so, uh, he could be actually finally settling in and actually, you know, being the guy. He's he's actually, you know, the starter. He is, he's the guy. And, you know, we could potentially be talking about him being one of the key aspects of that offensive line um, as the year goes on next year. Yeah, I, I agree. And Brendel ranked 57 in pass blocking grade among all offensive linemen, not just centers. So only San Francisco offensive lineman who ranked higher was Trent Williams, of course. So definitely not bad for uh, the returning center. Um, but at right guard, right, right guard last year was interesting because the 49ers drafted Spencer Burford. He started right away. He, well... I'll say this. He was going head to head with Daniel Brunskill much of training camp. They were rotating between the two every single day that they, they rotated e each other. Um, and so what ended up happening, Daniel, uh, Daniel Brunskill suffered a hamstring injury in August, which then made way for Burford to, you know, start. He ended up, you know, starting pretty well, like he did a good job. Um, so I think he, kind of earn the job from there. But in the second half of the year, like the 49ers at times, once Brunskill was healthy, they rotated both of them like in season. And that's not something you like you normally see. Um, and I thought that was kind of weird just because again, you go to the continuity factor and like for one Burford is learning, but of course, like there were times where Burford did struggle um, Four total sacks allowed on the year. Uh, Chris Forster, of Burford said, quote, I would have hoped during the year he would have taken over the position, but he never really did. It was always kind of a nip and tuck between the two of them. And Brunskill had to fill in some games at other positions. So Spence ended up playing more snaps or more plays end quote. So with that being said, it feels like, you know, Burford got the opportunity mostly because Brunskill either wasn't available or he was playing other positions. Otherwise maybe Brunskill would have been the starter, but that makes this off season even more interesting because Brunskill has gone, you know, <laughs> like, um, and now it's just Spencer Burford. And 
you know, you can attribute attribute some of Spencer Burford's struggles to, you know, he it's his rookie season, you know, maybe going over some of those rookie hurdles. But clearly, like, the 49ers also feel good about putting their eggs in the Burford basket, right, for the long term because, again, like, they let Br- Brunska walk this offseason. Um, and, yeah, like, they don't go chasing after their offensive linemen. Like, if they have a market, they're going to let them go. Um, but I, I just – I still think that's interesting. Clearly, they have a lot of faith in in uh, Burford for this year. And he has put on some weight and, and muscle uh, this offseason. Recently, Chris Forrester this offseason has said, quote, this year he has come back, looks like a different guy, carrying himself differently. The confidence level, the jump between years one and two for a player, if they play, is the biggest jump they ever make. This year, I think he's more prepared for the whole process. I think he's ready to make that step. He looks prepared and ready to go, end quote. Um, so it, it kind of feels like they have, they do have a lot of trust that Burford, the experience that he got in year one should, along with this off season should help pro- propel him for a bigger year two. Yeah, without a doubt. And I think that that's quite a glowing endorsement, um, and, and words of support, I should say, as it relates to, uh, Chris Forrester's words about Spencer Burford. Coming from someone as, as well that doesn't like mince words, <laughs> I think that, um, you know, Chris Forrester is not going to just say something on the house. You know what I mean? I think that both things potentially could be true, right? So, you know, Burford got some run last year when um, McKibbitz was injured, but then also wasn't good enough. I shouldn't say that. Wasn't playing to the level to where he, he completely took over the position as Forrester yeah. had hoped that he would. Um, but then I also see it in a sense that, he was good enough to also get run, if that makes sense. Kind of similar, you know, as confusing as that may have sounded, uh, kind of similar to kind of what I thought about uh, uh, Tamo Hufunga's rookie year, um, yeah. you know, splitting time with Jaquiski Tart. Um, there may have been some foresight there from the 49ers standpoint um, to, you know, think that Brunskill would move on or they wouldn't bring him back or that uh, Spencer Burford was the future at, at, at that position, in which case – why they, you know, were kind of rotating him in and such. So um, they had some belief in them then. I do like that he cut his teeth during that rookie year as opposed to just being out there and having to just, like, try to, you know, with those mental reps, get over things during drives on the field, um, you know, no matter what, without a backup plan, with that being Brunskill. So I think that's opportunity for him to to build upon from, a, from an experience standpoint. And then also, I mean – Shoot, we talked about this probably about a month, month and a half or so ago. I mean, Forrester has identified that these are the guys. Like going into camp, yeah. these will be, you know, this is the line. So I've, I've thought more about that, you know, about, you know, would a, would a competition have been healthier at right guard or if it's better for him to, you know, mentally know that he is, you know, settling in and he should be, you know, owning the position and that there's high expectations there because we're announcing before training camp even comes along albeit with bringing over some, you know, free agents that this is your role to, to own. So I do have, you know, high expectations for Burford working on his body, as you mentioned, you know, trying to be more active in the um, pass blocking game as well in that regard to anchor and such. So the, the expectations are high for these guys, but I, I do believe that um, it's for due reason because of the consistency, because of how they played last year and because of the belief that's been demonstrated by the coaching staff. Yeah, I agree. And look, another reason to feel good about Burford 
remember, he played primarily tackle in college. He was playing basically an entirely new position for him and learning the ropes of that on the fly, pretty much in, at the next level, right, in the NFL. So I think another year at that position, playing just that, I think he's he's going to be ready. And it seems like, you know, certainly he's training up his body to be prepared for a full season. You know, the same thing could have happened to him that happened to Drake Jackson, right? Where he kind of, maybe he hit that rookie wall, um, you know, in the second half of the year. And that's why we saw more rotating with Daniel Brunskill as well. Also a possibility, right? So again, another year getting his body, right. His conditioning, right. I think um, there's reason to be optimistic about Burford and, you know, I didn't hadn't thought about this before, but like in, in talking about both Aaron Banks and Spencer Burford and how these are two fairly new guys on this line, but who we think can make a leap, that also can help potentially uh, Jake Brendel, right? Because we talk about Jake Brendel, you know, he's he's probably reached his ceiling in his career, right? But he's he's a solid uh, starter on this line. But I think the guys around him can certainly help much like, you know, we talk about Trent Williams helping, um, you know, Aaron Banks, not not to say that, you know, Banks and Burford are that good at their position. But, you know, if they improve, certainly it should help the guys around them as well. Um, So that that's another reason, I think, to to feel optimistic about the continuity and just some of these guys um, returning on this line. The one guy, the one guy who is not returning is Mike McGlinchey, right? And so, as we know, Cold McKivitz has been pegged as the replacement for Mike McGlinchey. I think even, even as early as last year, I think the 49ers already had this in mind. And certainly when there were reports that the 49ers even considered, uh, you know, trading away Mike McGlinchey last season, I think that suggests they would have been comfortable 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 with Colts and McKivitz being their starter even as early as last year, right? So clearly they already kind of had this plan um, set in motion a bit. And so now that McGlinchey is gone and as expected, he got a big deal um, now with the Denver Broncos, McKivitz steps in and it's just so funny because this is another case of a guy who, they bring in to this offensive line is like depth, very unassuming, you know, you you just think he'll be a depth guy. And the next thing you know, like he's starting. And if it's like all the other stories of this offensive line where guys have come in they're they played a backup and then they're, they're pretty good starters. Um, I, I would probably assume that, yeah, he'll probably be solid too. If he falls in line with all the other guys who have been down this path. I think we knew, you know, the 49ers weren't going to be bringing McGlinchey back. And, you know, certainly fans have had a love-hate relationship with McGlinchey, and I I totally get it. I think, uh, you know, if we want to ask ourselves, is is Cole McKivitz like an upgrade over McGlinchey? I don't know if we know that answer yet, to be quite honest with you. I think it's going to be a give and take, you know, at at the right tackle position. Mike McGlinchey, he ranked 87th in pass blocking among all offensive linemen. However, run blocking, he ranked 33rd. So, like, we always knew that McGlinchey, awesome run blocker, 
not as good a pass blocker. And I think the pass blocking is what pissed fans off the most because it's like when when you miss or you whiff on a on a pl- pass block, it's obvious. Like fans are gonna notice. Um, but on the other hand, for run blocking, like that can kind of be forgiven a little bit more. I think that's just how like fans <laughs> work. It's more noticeable when you miss a, a pass block. But I, so I think Colt McKibben is kind of the opposite, right? He's a better pass blocker, but maybe the run blocking is what he's not so good at. That being said, I think the 49ers offensive line as a whole and their run blocking scheme has a way of masking, you know, some of the maybe, uh, I don't know, the areas of needed improvement for some of the offensive linemen when it comes to their scheme, just because they execute it at a high level. So you might not be the best run blocker, but you'll look really good because the scheme will probably do that for you. Um, And so maybe in that regard, and also the fact that they have the best, maybe the best running back in the league and McCaffrey, you know, maybe they felt like they could afford to bring the uh, right tackle run blocking just a notch down a bit with, uh, Cold McKivitz, but clearly the pass blocking needed to improve. So maybe that's the area where McKivitz is an upgrade over McGlinchey. Yeah, I'm not ready to to to, to um, give a prediction on that either. Whether you know, I think that uh, McKivitz would be a you know upgrade over McGlinchey. Um, I too believe that we got to see it. We got to see what it looks like out there. One thing for us to keep in mind is that you know he didn't arrive here overnight. Um, at this spot of being, you know, the presumed right tackle, starting right tackle. He got here in 2020, um, you know, has been, you know, kind of, I don't want to say buried, but he was down the depth chart. He wasn't starting much. He has, he's had, you know, five starts thus far, you know, due to injury and such at the position. So, you know, it's quite possible that he's just gotten, you know, stronger in practice, you know, you know, physically and, and metaphorically as well. You know, he's also been banging against like, you know, the, you know, number one or two, given give or take or number three, depending on the time frame, defensive, you know, line um, and defense and practice and such. So I'm sure that's done done a lot to help and improve his his quality of play, his footwork uh, from a practice perspective. But of course, it's got to translate. Right. So, um, you know, him being next to Burford, who has had, you know, probably more experience, honestly, from a snaps perspective than even Colton McKivitz has at this point with Burford, Burford being even drafted just last year and being a rookie um, that could, you know, provide some, some um, assistance in that regard, potentially, as well as helping with his play. Um, but, you know, I am, I am interested to see, you know, if the reputational impact of Chris Forrester, as I've kind of talked about thus far in our conversation today, uh, translates with, with Colton McKibbitts as well. Um, I think that, you know, um, Forrester has put together a good line. He's coached those guys well. They've actually graded higher than I've ex- I expected um, over the last few years, notably last year um, when the team was, I think, fifth in pass block win rate and 10th in run blocking. Um, so, yeah. So I, as far as, you know, I, I, I can see McKivitz maybe having, um, you know, challenges here and there, obviously. I think if he can give us what at least what McGlinchey gave us, if that's like his – I'm not gonna say ceiling, but that's you know that's more the the level of play that we're more familiar with, you know, you know, with McKibbitt's level of play. Then I think he'd be fine. Um, to your point with the scheming, I think there's ways to make that happen. 
um, to kind of mask some of those deficiencies. But there's going to be a lot expected to him, expected of him from a run blocking standpoint. Um, you know, personally, I am. I, you know, I know that the way that, you know, notably why I think Shanahan would never really throw McGlinchey under the bus is I think McGlinchey's kind of the type of uh, offensive lineman that Shanahan ideally likes. He, 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 he wants more strength in the run blocking mm-hmm. game than he does in the pass blocking game. Kind of counter to what my perspective is and probably many others. I mean, quarterbacks are back to making their money throwing the ball, but I digress. Um, so that being said, I think that as, as you know, if, if the Kivis can provide similar play, um, in the eyes of, you know, the team, in the eyes of Shanahan, he'll be fine. Yeah, and, and going back to to what you said earlier about, you know, like the 49ers clearly identify who their guys for this offensive line are and who they're going to be, right? So, you know, I would imagine Colton McKivitz is no different, right? He was drafted in 2020. He's been, you know, in the shadows for, you know, three years I guess, preparing for this moment. And again, clearly the 49ers have seen something from him either through practice or in the limited snaps that he has had. They've seen something that would suggest, okay, that we feel good about this guy potentially starting last year. He did play some uh, snaps at left tackle um, in relief of Trent Williams. Uh, and as a whole, he played, uh, yeah, 43 snaps last year at left tackle. He played 26 at right tackle. Um, and I mean, we, it's not enough snaps to really, you know, gauge how good or bad he's going to be this year. But again, I would assume that the 49ers, um, if they're anointing him as a starting right tackle, I'd imagine they've seen something that we haven't yet. Right. So, um, yeah, I, I feel optimistic about Colton McKivitz for that reason because in the past, like when they anoint these guys as, okay, you're going to be the starter this year, usually it has worked out for them, right? So clearly the, there's something in either their development or them being able to, um, you know, see someone's talent and, um, you know, de- develop them into starters. So, uh, yeah, I would assume Cole McKivitz is no different, but let's look at some of the depth. You know, I, I think uh, it's established that we feel pretty good about the starters on this line, but how about the depth? Did the depth improve this year? And I don't know if that's an answer. That's a question that we can answer quite yet. Um, certainly, there, I think there's some uh, – experience level for some of these guys like Matt Pryor, John Feliciano, they have starting experience in this league, which I think is valuable to have if you're a depth guy. Right. So uh, shout out David Lombardi for always putting this uh, depth chart um, chart together. Um, And so this always comes in handy for me, but looking at the offensive line here, so we got our starters and then, you know, we got our, second and third level guys here. So Matt Pryor is kind of uh, looks at least to Lombardi looks to be the second string left tackle. And so that's why I mentioned him earlier, Jalen Moore now on the outside looking in um, he had those opportunities in the past, but getting phased out a little bit. Um, And I wouldn't be surprised if we actually see, you know, maybe Jalen Moore get cut, you know, this off season. I think this training camp is going to be huge for Jalen Moore. 
um, and his, you know, development and if he sticks around on this team. Um, yeah. And then for center, they, they also brought in John Feliciano, which this one surprised me a little bit because they brought back Jake Brendel first and then they signed Feliciano. Um, in the past, they haven't really had a lot of like solid center depth. So to get Feliciano who has been a starter in the past and, I, I know like uh, Brad, the SF Niners, uh, likes him a lot. Um, so I don't know. Maybe Feliciano is one of those guys who can play multiple spots on the line and maybe he's your new Brunskill. Um, and in that case, that's a that's a pretty good move. But yeah, I guess it was a head scratcher as, at first because he's almost he feels almost too good for depth um, in a way. Um, and then we have uh, Nick Zakelj who I think originally he was seen as like the eventual starting center for this team when he was originally drafted and and now kind of seen as the uh, right guard backup. So Zakalage again, another guy who can probably play a couple spots on this line. So he does have positional versatility, something that's, you know, good to keep around. Um, but I don't really know where Zakelich fits, you know, uh, on this line, to be quite honest with you. Um, again, like I, I'm eager to see how he does in training camp and, you know, could he be a guy who has a similar path to like a Colton McKivitz where he, he uh, um, is very much below the radar his first few years, but then is maybe poised to be a starter, you know, once someone else leaves. Right. So um, really interesting to see where some of these guys will will fall. It is. And I, you know, to your point a little while ago, I was surprised to hear when um, John Feliciano was taking snaps during uh, minicamp because I thought he was actually coming in to compete at, at guard. So um, he could be potentially, to your point, you know, one of those players that can play multiple spots on the line. But uh, it'll be interesting. I don't know that all three of those guys from prior to Feliciano and Kells will make the make the final roster, the final 53, but, but I think it's, it seems as if Feliciano will be around though. I get the impression by the few things I've been said about him and his positional versatility that um, he'll he brings value in that, in that manner. So uh, in that way, I should say, so it sounds like uh, he'll probably be for sure sticking. Yeah, I think so too. He's, he's definitely an intriguing uh, option for depth um, and, could be one of those guys that if someone gets hurt, he, he might be one of the first uh, to get tapped on the shoulder. But as far as like the third string um, and seeing how that may shake out, I mean, a couple new faces, Joey Fisher, Corey Luciano, Ilma Manning, all of which were undrafted free agent um, signings this off season, uh, you know, a solid group of undrafted free agents, but you know, I recall Matt Miyoko saying he doesn't think any of the undrafted free agents and, you know, not just off it from the offensive line, but any of them um, making the 53, which I don't know if I agree with that completely. Um, but I, I say that because I think it might be, you know, tough sledding for these guys in particular to, to crack the 53, but, you know, they can stick around on the practice squad if they show well, um, in training camp again like the question I have is is Jalen Moore good enough to stick around on this team in general like if one of these three undrafted free agents 
are good enough to, you know, maybe push a roster spot, right? You know, would Jalen Moore be the guy who would get cut, right? Um, I think that's a that's a fair question. So again, training camp is going to be very important. Um, I've seen that Leroy Watson has bulked up, and I've seen a lot of the uh, beat reporters mentioning that he's he's huge, like three hundred pounds, huge. Um, but obviously like still in shape, right? Like, um, so, you know, his, his body and conditioning has been a huge area of focus and it makes sense because he was a former tight end. So seeing him now as, you know, working as a tackle, that could be interesting. Um, and they have a few guys who, you know, have gone from tight end to tackle in the past. So, you know, obviously there's a, there's a pipeline there for that. Uh, I, to be honest, I don't know much about uh, Keith is Ismail. Um, Jason Poe, I know is one guy who was like a fan favorite and someone who intrigued a lot, but not someone who we hear mentioned too much, right? Maybe training camp again, like could be a time where we hear Jason Poe mentioned it's going to be big for him too if he wants to stick around either on the 53 or probably most likely once again the practice squad no i agree and actually you know if it wasn't for so much for the fact that the starting five was already pretty much solidified we may see we may have seen more movement or outside chances of some of these other players albeit they um whether they're um undrafted or, you know, second year or third year players such as Jalen Moore or Jason Poe in no particular order, um, actually being able to stick and make it um, onto the final roster. Uh, but for, for the fact that those, those five are, you know, pretty much in place, you know, it, it makes it kind of, you know, un, more unlikely I feel that some of those other players are going to have a lot of movement beyond where they are on the depth chart. Um, so, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how it all shakes out. Because obviously, you know, the team can't roll with everybody. Um, and to your point, like, you know, Joey Fisher, uh, Leroy Watson, um, some of those players. Like, I also, too, I, too, don't know as much about them. Um, but it could be so possibly candidates that they have been building that they just park on the practice squad to see if they can develop into something later on. Yeah, exactly. Based on like what we've seen in the past for this team, I think there's good reason to believe that some of these depth guys who were recently drafted by the team will eventually be starting sometime down the line. The question is, who will that guy be, right? I don't think we we know enough to to make assumptions on that quite yet, but, you know, interesting to talk about for sure. But, you know, Chris, this was fun. Thank you so much for uh, joining me today to discuss Absolutely. the offensive line. Of course, a very interesting position for this team, one that, you know, we all hope We'll see improvements um, in 2023. Uh, but make sure that you guys like this video if you have not yet. Make sure you guys subscribe if you have not yet. And, of course, going to be doing these position um, you know, reviews before training camp. So make sure you guys continue to tune in for those. But for now, have a good rest of your Friday. Have a great weekend, people. Happy 4th of July. Peace.